This is Harrison Kim, and you're listening to Working With People by PaveStep. The Working With People podcast is for executives, managers, and people leaders. We bring people experts together to provide you with relevant content on how to think about and manage your most important asset, your talent. We have Dirk here with us today. How are you, Dirk? Uh, Harrison, I'm doing awesome, man. Really excited to be here and excited to uh, dive into a great conversation with you. Absolutely. So today we're going to be talking about unlocking collaboration and collaborate and collective genius within your teams. Um, I love the fact that you use the word genius. This is something I've heard, you know, zones of genius and things like that. I'm, I'm pretty excited for this today's conversation. So before we get to our questions, uh, tell us a little bit more about you and what you do. So uh, I'm the founder and, and CEO of a company called Bergflow. And what we do is really specialize in working with teams within companies. Uh, the, the, team, the, the term that we use is human systems. So our fascination is, you know, what happens when people come together in the work environment and how can you just inject a lot of life into that to really create a human system that is more productive, more efficient, effective, and overall it generates more fulfillment within people in the work, uh, workplace. And, you know, our, our research and our, our belief and everything that we've done and the results of our clients show us that if you have people that can come together, that can work well together, that can collaborate, you're, you're going to get a higher result every time. So that's really what, uh, what we love to do is work with uh, companies. We primarily really work with small and medium-sized companies. We actually don't work with any large companies. Um, and that's just part of my love for, you know, small and medium-sized businesses. So that's, uh, that's what we do. Awesome. Awesome. So let's dive right in. Collaboration is kind of one key word, right, that we've talked about before. You know, what does collaborative culture look like at an organization? So the, fir the first thing for us is we believe that collaboration starts with understanding each other and knowing each other. So it, when, when you bring people together and they don't really know each other, they, they don't understand each other and there's not a lot of trust between them, collaboration really doesn't happen, right? Our version of collaboration is that everybody is bringing their best to uh, the conversation, to the project. And that includes their ideas, their energy, their level of openness, their level of flexibility around other people's ideas. But that's where the good stuff happens. Like that's where the collective genius starts unlocking. And it's, it's all about really understanding your people and, and knowing each other. So we really start the process uh, first with, you know, helping companies really get to know their people at a deeper level. And I talk to companies all the time and CEOs and executive leaders that I'll ask them questions about their key people that report to them. I'll say, hey, you know, uh, tell me about this person. You know, who are they? What are they about? Tell me about their family. Tell me about what's important to them. Tell me about what's that trip that they've always wanted to take that they've never actually gotten to take before. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and when we start asking these kind of questions, usually you'll see that most leaders under, understand the, the, the kind of the higher level, big picture knowledge about their people. But very quickly, when we start getting into the deeper level of conversation, they say, I don't know. I don't know. I've never, you know, talked to them <laughs> about that. I think, you know, and and it's like, okay, that's where we need to start the work is that you got to get to know your people at a much deeper level. 
So that's really the the core of the the work that we do is is through several assessments and through conversational models, we help leaders to truly get to un- know their people, and we I love that word collective genius because we believe that everybody has levels of genius within them. However, if you don't know somebody and you don't understand them, you could completely miss the genius within that person. And because they're not showing up in a way that you think they should be showing up or, Mm. you know, a lot of times uh, we, not a lot of times, we always mirror as, as humans. So we tend to think that the things that I'm good at, you know, other people that are good at that, like then they're good. Or if, if people are very different than me or they can't really do the things that come easy to me, then there's something wrong with them. And I think, you know, great leaders are people that start understanding that people are very different, but they don't just cognitively understand that they go deeper than that to say, okay, how is this person different? And what does that mean about this person? What does that mean about their innate strengths, their gifts, their talents? And what is the level of genius within this person? So by getting to know people at a, at a much deeper level from a, a behavioral standpoint, a cognitive standpoint, emotional intelligence standpoint, and then just through who this person is, mm-hmm. you start understanding what their gifts are and what their talents are and give them permission to say, look, in this area, you're really strong. I want you to bring your viewpoint. I want you to bring what you see to the table and when that team can come together and everybody is really bringing their best to, to the table, their, their ideas, their understanding, their gifts, and their talents, and they can say, look, this is what I'm seeing. I think we should approach it this way. I think we need to focus on this. I think we need to change that to the color blue or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And the whole team can understand that everybody is there to bring value. Then collective genius starts being unlocked. Right. And it's, it's in the way that you facilitate the conversation. It's in the way that you bring people together. And, you know, one thing that's really important to to really highlight, because I've gone back and forth on this a lot of times and I've, 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 you know, listened to other podcasts, read books, had conversations, but it's the idea around collaboration versus uh, consensus. And yeah. ultimately, collaboration is not consensus. Right. You can collaborate together and have very, very different viewpoints. But what you're looking for is what is the, 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 the kind of like the mashup? What is that product that comes out that is the very best product? Because, you know, everybody may be give and take a little bit or, you know, people leave the meeting saying like, look, I brought my ideas. I brought my genius. And if we go in a little different direction, then that's okay too. So I think some people, because I, I fell into that trap, you know, probably about four or five years ago, you know, I really kind of got stuck on this, like, oh, we should always be in consensus about everything. And it just got us gridlocked. And, mm. you know, a, a really great uh, mentor of mine, like really explained to say, look, man, like you're not looking for consensus on everything. Like sometimes decisions have to be made to go against what somebody else brought in as a recommendation. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Jim Collins talks about this a lot, but it, it really is um, the, the collaboration is that there's a deep level of trust and that everybody gets to bring their authentic voice into the conversation, not what they think they want somebody else to hear, not what they think they want their leader to hear, what their team expects them to bring, but truly authentically saying like, hey, guys, actually, I don't agree with what you guys are, are, are talking about right now. I don't agree in this position. Right. Here's the way that I see it. And the team being like, okay, hey, let's let's talk more about that. Like, what do you see? Because most organizations don't have that deep level of trust. So, so for somebody to bring something that's very counter 
to what the, the rest of the group is talking about or going uh, in a direction in, they may feel pressure or stress around that. And it's just easier for them to go along with it because they don't want to go mm -hmm. through the scrutiny of being different or being wrong. But the, the idea behind collective genius is that if every single voice is not authentically heard, then collective genius is not unlocked. So that's really the way that we approach it. Got it. Got it. That's extremely, extremely helpful. And I love the fact that you started with just making sure that people know right each other. <laughs> I think yep. that's a really important aspect that a lot of us, especially in this virtual environment, because you know, there are no longer those organic moments where you're kind of getting to know each other in person, right? Everything is so scheduled and everything's just in your calendar. Um, and I think that aspect is extremely, extremely important. Absolutely. Uh, so you talked a little bit about the benefits of you know, collaboration and how that unlocks value within an organization. Um, from your you know, projects, you know, any kind of you know, use case or highlights you want to you know, talk about here, what can you know, teams expect to see once they've really started to crack this collaboration aspect of their team dynamics? Well, I think the first thing that happens is that you, you just automatically get a higher level of buy-in from everybody. And, you know, think about this. I think there's, uh, and, and Harrison, you may have some data on this too, but, you know, there's data about like how, how many hours the average American actually works at work, right? So mm. you're there for eight hours, but you're probably doing about three hours worth of actual productive work. The rest of the time you're disengaged, you're not doing work. So for companies that, that run uh, teams, you know, obviously they, they think that, hey, if we have 10, 12 people on a team, you know, they're, they're working a lot. And the truth is that most people just don't work that much. But when you bring collaboration together and you start really tapping into people's gifts, their talents, their ideas, what happens is they start taking ownership of it. And because they're taking ownership of it, they're automatically taking deeper levels of responsibility because now mm -hmm. their DNA is part of whatever is being built. It's part of the, the creation. And the, it's, it's so much harder for them to disengage, right? People disengage when orders are coming down the pipeline telling them what to do. And that's where, you know, for us, um, we really, we, we like to talk about team members and team leaders versus talking about employees and managers. Because mm. I think that a lot of times the, the kind of employer manager type relationship, it, it starts almost feeling like the person's just there to manage them uh, through the process where when you're part of a team, uh, a team is there for a collective outcome. And what we want to look at is how do, how do those outcomes align with what's important to people? And that's why we really go deep on getting to know people and, and what's important to them. And even in the hiring process, we, we have a, a couple of extra steps in our hiring process that are very conversational, very deep. And one of them is to get somebody's life story. So, you know, we go back and say, hey, mm. tell us what you remember about life at five, six years old. And we walk them all the way through like the junior high years, the high school years, like, you know, any, you know, further education or what they did after high school, all the way to where they are today. And another exercise, we do future pacing where, you know, we, we go you know, sometimes hour and a half, two, three hours deep into really understanding what somebody wants in the next five years of their life. And what does that look like? And what does that mean to them? And when we pull that into alignment with what's happening in the company and how they are going to be able to realize those things that they want in the future by helping the company succeed, right? It's a symbiotic relationship. Right. And then you bring their ideas and their energy and everything into the projects that are being done, 
It's like they start taking ownership for what's happening in the company. They start, start taking ownership for the outcomes. And because of that, we see a massive spike in just output and performance and effectiveness and efficiency. And typically what we see is once companies start aligning these kind of teams and helping them win, we see that these companies start growing much faster, their profitability starts going up. And because the pro productivity is up that much, we actually start seeing more time freedom where people are doing more with, with in less time so that they actually have more time to spend together to know each other or, you know, spend time with their families. And I mean, like, that's what we're really interested in. And we're not interested in people working 90 hours a week trying to get things done. We're, we're interested in people doing more in less time and using that time then to do the things that really fulfill them outside yeah. of work. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, any challenges you've come across or any common or big challenges that you've come across when you're trying to, you know, enable the collaboration in the workplace? Yeah, I mean, I would say the number, a couple of things. Number one is ego. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, ego is just, and, and, and it's, it's not even the kind of, like, ego that's the what you would typically think of like somebody that's just really egotistical and kind of like the you know the fists on the hips type you know i know everything but even uh, a deeper level uh of ego even a softer level of ego that's not that screaming loud ego but it's the ego that says i don't want to be wrong like i my ideas are right for me my my ideas are my truth and i have to hold on to that mm -hmm. so it's it's not always just the evident ego, right? There's, there's something that we call the soft ego, which is that, that deeper underlying ego that still makes you want to be right and look good. Right. And what you have to do is start breaking that down. Um, because I mean, you know, one thing that, that, that somebody told me probably about six or seven years ago, they said, Dirk, everybody wants to look good and everybody wants to be right. It's a, it's a innate thing within all of us. And, and that's what ego truly is. Like the, the ego is there to make you look good and be right. Even if you're wrong and even if you're looking bad, your ego fights to, to look right, like protect you. So what we have to do is really start breaking down the ego and, and really nothing breaks ego down more than really understanding other people. This is why we go so deep with people when we interview them. And, and even when we're doing this work within teams, we spend a lot of time in people getting to know each other because when you start understanding that story of when somebody was 16 years old and they went through this horrific experience, like your heart starts breaking for them. And now you're, you're going to get to know them. Like your ego is going to say like, I want to set my ego aside because I care about this person. I know their story. And when they say something in a meeting, it's like there's a humanistic approach to what they're saying. And, and it automatically just opens up our ability to connect with that person and understand what they're saying is valuable. Right. And, and yeah. this is the, one of the big changes, I think from, you know, business that, that evolved in the thirties and forties and fifties. And I mean, from there, it was very egotistical. It was very top down. It was very, you know, just looking at people as cogs. And, and I think that, you know, Harrison, you can relate to this with the kind of work that you guys do in pave step with, getting the feedback is like, man, people want to be humans in, in the workplace. Can you imagine that? Like people want mm -hmm. to be heard. They want to be, have their voices be present. So as we start working on breaking the, the ego down, you know, that really starts um, helping people be more open to others, which starts building a deeper level of trust. So that's the one part of it. 
right? The other part of it is, um, you know, just people really feeling celebrated for who they authentically are. And, you know, that's where the collective genius part comes in. Cause man, like there are some times where somebody says something in a meeting that is just brilliant, but it, it never would have come out if they didn't have that deep level of trust and that deep level of appreciation that they really have something good to bring to the meeting. And that's where really helping people understand that they are valuable, that they have something really good to bring to the table. They're not just there to be a cog to execute the the mission and vision of the company and like do your job and that type of <laughs> yeah, thing. It's yeah. like, it becomes so much more than that. So, you know, if, if you can help people break their own egos down and then you can help people like truly understand and celebrate their level of, of gift, then that those are the two things that help us really um, bring things together. Perfect. So obviously leaders and you know, the companies and organizations themselves have a significant um, amount of work that they need to do in order to really create this, right? They've got the responsibility to really enable this within the organization and their teams. Any thoughts on how they can do that, tactically speaking, and especially in the remote work environment? I feel like it's, it's a little harder um, just because you're not getting in-person, you know, face-to-face interaction often. Um, any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, one thing is, you know, and, and again, like I think for some companies, it feels like wasting time. But I mean, even just setting up um, kind of lunch dates and things like that for virtual teams, where, look, you have to eat lunch anyway, and you're probably close to your computer. So, you know, why not set up random lunch dates with different people on the team that may not ordinarily get to spend time together and just say, hey, we want you guys to spend uh, an hour together at lunch while you're eating. Yeah, it's going to be weird because you're eating food and watching each other do that. But, you know, (laughs) there's, you know, you know this, there's something special about breaking bread with somebody. Like having a meal with somebody is very relational. It it builds... It builds that connection. So um, even if you don't get to do that live, it's kind of like, you know, people don't think about that virtually and just encourage people to, hey, have have a lunch date, you know, have a, a, a virtual cocktail hour with, you, with your team. And again, it's just about them being able to kind of hang out in a, a, in a, a less formal way and just get to know each other and talk about things outside of work. Because what we have found is sometimes um, very casual conversations not about work starts swinging back to talking about work and if it has the right energy around it it brings a new level of creativity to what's happening in work mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know that's what we we try to bring to the table right is you know for us your work meetings aren't about just you know just full on hey we're just here to focus and execute and it's it's about unlocking that that level of connection and it's about getting people to listen to each other and hear each other. And when it comes to collaboration, you know, there's things that um, a lot of, a lot of leaders, especially really driven type leaders, when they get into a collaborative situation, the first thing that they want to do is just be like, great, here's the problem. How do we solve it? And just that approach alone really is hard for people to go into because it's like, Oh my gosh, like it feels like there's pressure. It feels like, you know, and, and sometimes you kind of have to do those atomic type situations where you have no time and you have to come up with something. But the better way to do it is connect people mm-hmm. with um, the thread of what you are doing and what you're trying to solve. Meaning that, look, if, if, if we've got four hours to collaborate and solve a, an, an, like a problem with, 
I'm probably going to spend the first 45 minutes to an hour just connecting people to the right uh, mental and emotional state for them to be really sharp for the for when the actual work happens. And uh, and this is something that we learned from uh, a guy named John Berghoff. Uh, he's got a company called Exchange. And, you know, it's, it's just how to set the tone for these kind of meetings and even really connecting people. So if, you, if you're talking, if you're about to do some teamwork, connect people to a simple question mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as the meeting starts to say, Hey guys, let's, um, let's reflect on something. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you guys a question. I want you guys to take about, you know, seven to 10 minutes and just really connect with this, write a few things down in your journal, and then let's uh, connect on what you wrote down. And you may present a, a question like, Hey, go back to a time in your life where you were on a team that really connected. You were on a team that were, were able to communicate exceptionally well, to work together, and that you accomplished a, a great goal together, that you really felt that you were in sync, like in step. Right, right. And it could be whatever it is, whether it was volunteering to you know, build uh, a church in South America, or it was you know, working with a Little League baseball team, or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But what you're what you're looking for are for people to share stories of what was present when they felt like they were on a really good team and what was what was happening. And, you know, if, if I'm going to do work with a team of seven people and we sit down and we do that work, I mean, it may take an hour for us to really kind of download, hear the stories. But what what we're doing is theming and saying, like, hey, based on all these 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 stories that were just shared what were the centralized themes that created the this team to work together really well Mm -hmm. and if we can name those things before we start our work and say hey let's focus on being open let's focus on giving let's focus on idea generation or serving or whatever themes out of their stories right it's not it's not me as the leader saying like hey these things we're going to work like this today i'm theming based on people's stories and then we're writing those down like maybe that's the first thing we write down on the whiteboard to say hey guys today we want to focus on these things as well you guys already told us that this is what works really well that came from any kind of story that you've ever had whether you were 10 years old or 25 or 50 years old doesn't matter let's keep these things in mind as we do work today so what that does is it, it, first off, it was their idea, it was their story, and it was their theming that set the stage for how we're going to collaborate today in this meeting. Now, with that being said, they already have ownership in whatever we're going to do next. I haven't even right, told right, them maybe right. what, but they're already, they're bought in, they have ownership, they're present, they're brought their energy, they're feeling good. Now, the work that we're going to be able to do in the next 90 minutes we're going to be able to be more effective in 90 minutes and put a solid action plan in place than if if I just try to hammer the team for, you know, four hours. And it's small things like that that a lot of people, you know, they don't think about because they, they feel like there's so much to do. We just got to jump in and do it. And they don't set the stage for doing really good work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is extremely, extremely helpful. Um so we've covered a decent portion of uh, our questions here. And, and any any other kind of highlights or tips that you would want to share? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for the leader that's, that's doing the work, um, mm-hmm. one is be really clear about what you're wanting to solve and don't try to solve 30 problems in one meeting. I think that that's very common. 
that leaders go in and they feel a lot of pressure around a lot of things. So they feel like right. they got to solve a ton of stuff, like really focus on one thing and help your team figure out, okay, what that is, how we're going to move forward and what the action plan is from it. And then help your team execute that. And that's something that, you know, we, we really practice uh, this cadence of, uh, you know, quarterly sprints within our organization. And I mean, we're, we're big fans of traction. We're big fans of 40X. Uh, we have our own uh, system called Pathway 53. But we're really big on, look, choose one or two things that you're going to execute this quarter. Mm-hmm. And again, for, for leaders, for driven people, that feels very counterintuitive because they want to accomplish the 37 things that they feel need to get done this quarter. Right, right. But, then at the end of the quarter, they just have a bigger mess on their hand. They got confusion. They got frustrated team members. They, they, their profitability is suffering. And then they're trying to accomplish a bunch more things. So you're, you're better off just choosing one or two things you're going to focus on every 90 days and breaking it down to every team member. What's the one or two things that they need to really bring to fruition project-wise? And again, that's outside of the regular work they're doing. This is you know them moving the needle forward for the company. But when a team can get really clear and really start executing, what's going to happen is they're going to start developing the feeling of winning. And that's really important because uh, for a lot of companies that are growing fast and that are under a lot of pressure, it's like the goalposts are constantly being moved. Yeah. So there's yeah. no completion. There's no sense of like fruition. And a deeper level of frustration starts building. And then a deeper level of like the, the confidence starts lacking, Right. So teams that, that can learn how to execute and win together um, end up being way more effective than, than teams that are in environments where the goalpost is just being moved and being moved and it never feels like you're bringing anything to completion. So for leaders, I would just be really clear about what it is that you really want to work with on your team and focus on getting that done and then go to the next thing. Gotcha. The focus on accountability. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Dirk, thank you so much for this insight and, and, you know, where can the audience find you and your thought leadership? Yeah, at bergflow.com, B-E-R-G-F-L-O-W, bergflow.com is the best place to connect with us. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time here. Everyone, thank you for listening to Working With People. Feel free to check out other episodes on pavestep.com slash podcast. Thank you, Dirk. Harrison, appreciate it. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the day and the weekend coming up. Absolutely.